Yeah, I definitely understood how to kind of play with those pain pleasure principles in my mind and get what I want from them. I would literally like go out some nights and like hang with friends and just try to like think about, you know, my mom at home struggling or crying or this or that. And I'd be like, what are you doing, you idiot? Why are you at this party? But when you say something and you have enough power and passion and purpose behind it, you're going to do it. I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best selling author, and entrepreneur. And I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Mitchell Eason. Mitchell is best known as a reality television personality. He's a social media influencer and an entrepreneur. He rose to fame after competing on Netflix's The Circle. He's also a serial entrepreneur who got started at just eight years old with his first landscaping company. Since then, he has gone on to scale various businesses and his own personal brand to an outreach of millions. And what's most impressive about Mitchell is the level of maturity and emotional intelligence he possesses at such a young age, which is why I wanted to bring him on. So let's welcome Mitchell Eason to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Mitchell, what up? What's happening, my man? How you doing, Doug? I'm good. I'm, I'm really excited to chat with you on the podcast. I know we kind of are like one degree of separation just based on mutual friends. And I'm really looking forward to to diving into your story. I mean, there's so many parts that are inspiring to me, but I think the main thing that I want to start with that we were kind of just talking about, so I think it's a good starting point, is your inspiration to go back into these schools and really help to incorporate like emotional intelligence programs, help kids with their mental health, help kids improve the way they manage stress. So like, where did your purpose in that come from? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question, Doug. That's a big question. I'd say it's hard to narrow it to like one thing, but I don't know where it came from, what happened. Well, I have an idea through my life experiences. I feel like I just had to grow up at a young age. Right. And I had to deal with a lot of stresses and pressures as early as like 10, 11 years old that I feel like none of my friends really had to. And then as I got older and as I learned to deal with some of these failures and setbacks and family matters and X, Y, and Z, what worked for me, I realized some of my friends that are now going through a failed business or a heartbreak or their family falling apart, whatever it is, I was like, oh, I've been through that. This is what helped me through it. This is what I learned from it. This is what I decided about myself. And I would just kind of go on and almost coach them in a way, like just ask them the right questions, give them my advice from what I've been through. And then I realized how much I love that super young age of like, wow, I know everybody has their own problems, right? And I don't think my story or my situation was any better, any worse than the person next to me. What I realized is a lot of us go through the same things like at our core. We're all humans. We all have the same, you know, similar emotions. We all deal with different things. It's just a matter of our perspective around them uh, and what strategies or questions or you know different things work to help us break through that. And once I started doing that on myself and helping some of my friends, I kind of got obsessed with it. And I ended up coaching emotional intelligence seminars when I was about 17, 18. I went through them for a couple of years, read every Tony Robbins book, you know, every book out there on emotional intelligence, mindset, personal development, self-help, that sort of thing. And then I realized, like, why was I not taught this? My teachers used to reprimand me when I failed or when I did something wrong. And same with my parents. It's like, oh, you failed this test. Da, da, da. And I was like, to me, that's a great thing. Like, I just learned a ton of what I didn't know. It's like, no, no I didn't fail this test. I actually just learned what I need to study harder at. And, and I just had a flip perspective on everything compared to like all my classmates, all my teachers, all my parents. And I'm like, you know what? I can't tell if I'm right or they're wrong or if they're right and I'm wrong here. Like it was that backwards. And then I just realized I had a good ability of reinterpreting everything and, and finding the good in it and adjusting my mindset to always be, you know, the happy, joyful, positive guy I am, no matter what challenges or anything else comes up. And then it just hit me one day. I don't know how old I was, probably around that time I was coaching emotional intelligence seminars. I was like, this is something I should have learned when I was seven years old, when I was learning the English language and X, Y, and Z, like 
Why was I not taught to, hey, when this emotion comes up, you know, feel it out, don't stuff it down. Or when this happens in life, hey, let's look at what we can do about it, not just shut down. And, and to me, they're just such basic principles that weren't taught. And that's really something I'm passionate about. And you're right. Like, I think you can teach kids all the math in the world. You can teach them all the American history. You can teach them science and yep. everything else. Not that that stuff isn't important because I think there is a place for that. But if yep. they can't manage stress, if they can't learn how to embrace failure, if they can't learn the importance of like discipline, fitness, and all these other things that we know are important as you get older to be able to sustain yourself in life, then a lot of that stuff's not really gonna gonna matter. And I, I want to go back to something you touched on. You said you experienced some like hardship when you were younger. Like, what were some of the things that you went through when you were at a young age, as comfortable as you are sharing? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because kind of back to like the victim responsibility mentality. Like, I don't mind talking about it. I almost don't want to put my problems out there because, like, right. oh, what was me? Look at me. It's like, no, like we all got our shit. This was For just sure. happening to be my shit pile I was dealing with at this point in life. So, I mean, it wasn't necessarily like, you know, I was dying of starvation or anything. I recognize like we're still in America. We still got so many opportunities, so many blessings. But a lot of things that I faced that most of my friends didn't was like when I was eight, I wanted like a new pair of shoes. And, and now it makes sense. Looking back, my parents weren't that financially well off. And they were like, hey, you want a new pair of shoes? Like you got your one pair, go work for them. Like <laughs> kind of screw you, mom and dad. I was like, what do you mean? Where, like, what? So I was like, all right, I'll get a job. So I was like eight years old, walking around to like my local pizza shop, local movie theater, you know, just walking like, hey, how do I apply for a job? And they're like, you got to be 16, 18, 21 you know, to work here. And I'm like, well, I need money. So can you hire me? And like, nobody would take me. One of my chores, me and my brother had chores when we were growing up. It was, you know, laundry, dishes, clean up after the dinner, stuff like that, right? Mine so happened to be cut the grass. So my dad taught me how to like ride my lawnmower and use the weed whacker. When I was like six or seven. He's like, this is your chore now. I was like, okay. And then I remember when I couldn't get a job, I walked over to my neighbor. I just, hey, can I cut your lawn and, and charge X amount? It was like a fraction of what I should have charged. You know, it was a couple acre lawn and I was charging like 25 or $30, but it was an honest work. And that was my first taste of income. So then I said, okay, you know, I'm making 25, 30 bucks a week here. Let me knock on this neighbor's door and, you know, double my income. And before I knew it, I had about 10 lawns in my neighborhood when I was, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years old. And I was actually pulling really good money. At this point, I was doing 10 lawns averaging, you know, 30 to $50 a cut. And I was making four or 500 bucks a week as a kid. So I was able to buy, you know, my pair of shoes that I wanted. And then another thing happened kind of dumb to, I like wanted like an Xbox or something. And again, my mom and dad were like, oh, like you want to go work for it. And this time, like I realized like I can do this. So just little stuff like that. I, I really appreciate that. I've had that small experience that my mom and dad just taught me the value of a dollar and the value of working for something. And then as I got older, it just kind of kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So it went from like personal things to, you know, shoes to the Xbox to then, you know, long story short, my parents ended up splitting up and then went through like some financial hardships. It was a little bit of not, not, not a crazy mess, but obviously divorce is a little messy. And, you know, I was able to help my mom a time or two with like bills and stuff. And I was like, wow, that was 12 years old at this point, but I had such a strong why and such a strong reason. I was like, I'm going to pay the mortgage this month or something. And I was able to do that. And then once that hit, it just kind of unlocked something in me where I just went crazy in the best way possible. And everything that just hit me, you know, I don't really know the, the exact chronological order of everything that happened in my life to, to lead who I am. But looking back at like all the different challenges and hardships and small setbacks I faced, they're all just building me into the person I am today. And I'm so grateful for it. And that's really just where I got that drive from is just kind of having to, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think that's crazy. It's wild. I, I think that's the first time I've ever heard of anything like this, like in person, <laughs> like I'm, I'm sure there's stories I've read where people have gotten a job or, you know, hustled from door to door when they were super young, but I don't think I've talked to anybody who actually did that and explained that in a conversation on the podcast. Yeah. But I guess my question along those lines is like, I know now one of the things you talk a lot about is, is, is channeling like pain into purpose, taking like negative energy yeah. And turning it into something positive. Like as you look back now, was that you think a big reason of what you were doing was you were able to harness this dark side of the pain and this anger maybe that you had felt towards your parents or resentment for not 
you know, buying you these things, then you're like, you know what, like, I'm going to go make something positive of it. And then when the divorce happened, you were got even more emotional and we're like, I'm going to use this in something in a productive way. Yeah. In a sense. I mean, that's definitely a big part of it, but then it's also, I was super, I don't know why or how, like, I don't know how I understood psychology at such a young age. I really don't, but I just understood such basic psychology. Like even to the extent, you know, before I made this vow to be a virgin here, I was like a little dog just trying to kiss as many girls as I could and do little things. And I, I hate to say, like, I just understood exactly what they wanted to hear when I was like 12 years old. Like it was like right when everybody's starting to have their first kiss and stuff. And I was already an animal because I just understood it. And I was like, this makes so much sense. This girl just wants to hear this, this and that and feel this, this and that. And she'll like me. She wanted, you know, kiss me. Da, da, da. And I just kept doing it and doing it. And then it related to business. Then like I would you know, sell a job to a client and they would tell me no. And I'd ask them a question. They're like, oh, you're right. And for me, it just made so much sense. But looking back, I mean, I don't know how as an 11 year old understood like how to sell someone into something. It doesn't really make sense. But I took the pain, like you're saying, and, and it wasn't so much resentment towards my parents. Maybe that was the start of it when I was really young at eight. Right. But then it, it was also fueled by me of like, I have something I want and I'm going to figure out a way no matter what to get it. And then, like you said, some things did happen, you know, whether it was something as dumb as like the, the pair of shoes, the Xbox or something more bigger, like a breakup or my parents getting divorced. Or a lot of my friends didn't really understand what I was trying to do at a young age. And that they would make fun of me. Like, I didn't really, we, we, you know, we're boys, we bust each other's chops. But it just felt like a lot of people really didn't believe in me. And even my own family, to some extent, a lot of my friends and family, when I first started my company, like, oh, what are you doing? Stay in school. All my teachers tried using me an example of what not to do. And every little thing just fueled me to, like you said, just turn into an animal. And, and, it, and it got to the extent where I was aware of it. And then I started doing it to myself intentionally. And that's where I, I don't know if this is right or wrong just yet, because now I'm trying to like work through some of the trauma and do different, you know, meditations and breathing exercises because I have so much just stored in my body. And I would literally like go out some nights and like hang with friends and just try to like think about, you know, something really negative, like, you know, my mom at home, you know, struggling or crying or this or that. And I'd be like, what are you doing, you idiot? Why are you at this party? like get back to work. And like, I knew what I was doing fully. I was like, you know, my mom might be okay right now. Like I knew how to be relentless. And I did that. And, and I just turned into an absolute animal for years. And it got me all of my goals that I wanted since I was a kid. And, and then, yeah, I definitely understood how to kind of play with those pain pleasure principles in my mind and, and get what I want from them. Did you have a problem with people taking you seriously? Like when you were doing your landscaping business, like you mentioned like clients, like it's funny to think of the fact that you had a client clients and you're like 11. How did that work? You know, it's a great, like to me, I just thought of myself as such a man already. Like my mindset, my foundation was rock solid, but looking back in the beginning, maybe when I was like eight, nine, 10, 11, I knew people were looking at me goofy and, and what started me to take my business to the next level actually I was doing those couple lawns and then my uncles had hired me. I don't know. I was probably the same time, eight, nine, 10 years old. They were all contractors, landscapers, masons. My dad's electrician. So a bunch of blue collar workers and they hired me to clean up job sites. So I was like sweeping up, moving all, you know, they would demolish a house with an excavator and be like, all right, go pick out all the wood. And I would just sit there all day, just throwing bricks, wood into different piles. And one day I'm pulling weeds at this huge commercial complex. It's like one of those 500 unit apartment buildings, right? And my uncle at the time, he owns a landscaping company. I'm sitting there eight hours a day, weeks on end, pulling weeds. Like that was my only job. Go pull the weeds so they can come in and lay the mulch. And it just hit me one day where I was like so pissed off at like eight years old. It felt like I was worthless. I was like, I am pulling weeds and it's not making any difference in anyone's life. I was like, this is so dumb. Like I'm wasting my time. I have so much more potential. Like they should just hire some like idiot kid to do this. And then the light bulb went off. I was like, I'm the idiot kid right now. And I was like, no way is this me. So after that, I just decided to go on on my landscaping company. And there was a slow start, I guess. But then it, it just hit me where I put out, I think I had my mom print out for me like 10,000 flyers. And I paid all of my friends who were like 10, 11, 12 years old. We used to ride bikes and walk around the neighborhoods and stuff. 
was like, yo, like I'll give you 10, 15 bucks an hour, whatever it was, just stick a flyer and a business card on every door in this neighborhood. And we did every neighborhood in my town. And then nothing happened. And I was like, wow, that was a waste of like a couple of days or a week, whatever it was. Right. Uh, but the next season, that is where I went from a kid with a lawnmower in the neighborhood, cutting my 10 little lawns to around eighth, ninth grade. It's almost like the flyers, like every single person called me in like February of March of the following year. I guess they all fired their landscapers and, and kept my information. And I remember like, I didn't even have my license. So I had to actually partner up with one of my friends who was older. Cause I was like, dude, like I have so much work. I physically can't get to it driving on my mower. Like I have a trailer, I have a truck. I need you to drive me there. Cause I had gotten pulled over and tickets before it turned into a real business. And, and there were some funny times where I was like 14 and we got hired to install like patios and walkways. But I, I was blessed. Like I kind of look old from just, I don't know. I was like six foot tall when I was in eighth grade, but I was 12 or 13. So this one client, I had no clue how to lay a, a patio. Like I was cutting grass and laying mulch and they're like, Hey, can you do a patio? And I just said, yeah. And I was like, shit, like, I don't know how to lay a patio. Like I helped my uncles dig out a patio, uh, but I went on YouTube, watched all these videos, called some of my friends that were in the concrete industry. They explained it all. I bid the job way too high thinking if I got it, there's no way I can mess this up. And if I don't, oh, well, I don't know what I'm doing anyway. Landed the job. And long story short, I'm doing it. I'm ripping. We're putting in the pavers, the brand new walkway. We're grading everything. We're making sure filling it, tampering all level. And we laid this like exotic, like herringbone pattern, but it was actually a really good finished product. And as we're finishing, they're going to write the check. And they're like, man, we, we can't put a number on your age. Like, what are you like, 23, 24? I was like, ah, I'm, I'm 13. <laughs> like, they're like, what? I was like, yeah, nah, nah, I'm 13. Like, I'm in ninth grade or eighth grade. They're like, Nah, seriously, like I, I don't know exactly how old I was, but I was like 13 or 14. And they like couldn't believe it because at this point the job was done. So it didn't matter. And, and I was like, yeah, no, and my, my partner and a couple of my laborers that were there, like, no, nah, yeah, he's, he's 13. And they're like, how the, how do you know how to do what? Why? And it was just mind boggled. But luckily, I guess I was at a point look wise and business wise and how I carried myself where people just thought at least I was a teenager in my early 20s. Uh, when really I was like 13 years old, but wow. So I guess your so your business started with you cutting grass and then you did other yeah. like gardening and landscaping duties. And then when you got called to do these other things, you just looked it up on YouTube. Just figured it out, dude. Wow. Yeah, make calls, YouTube it, Googled it. And yeah. the, but isn't that a good message though for people to hear though? And especially like people that are just struggling to figure out like how they can accomplish something or how to do it is I think so many times it's like paralysis by analysis. And then yeah. we, we just sit and we're like, Oh my gosh, how am I going to do it? Like, how do I get here? Like, and we're like pondering and pondering instead of taking that time to go on YouTube, go on Google, you know, DM somebody, message somebody, you know, yep. and just find a way to figure it out. Yeah. I mean, Doug, it, it's funny. I'm there more oftentimes than I'm not, you know, everybody, I feel like, looks at someone like me or you or other people in the industry, like, oh man, easy for them to say. And it's so many times where I've been on top of the world and then an instant happens. I sell that company or get out of it or, you know, move across the country or whatever. And then I'm like, you know, sitting here with my whiteboard, like, what am I going to do now? And, and, and that's the beauty in it. Like to me, I just integrated something recently. It's called me time. And, and it's for me, but my initials are already ME. So it's, it's a funny little play on it. Uh, where it's just, I put aside an hour in the morning to do my morning routines. I do my meditating, my praying, my journaling, but then I integrated a new hour in the evening, which is like researching a new business I'm interested in or an investment, or maybe I'm having trouble processing this emotion or I'm feeling something. I don't know what it is. I just want to journal for an hour and get it out. Like now I just started doing that because I, I didn't really do that before. And I'd let it build, blow up, have a breakthrough and be like, okay, great. Next. Now I'm like, let me figure this out as I go. So to me, that's just something like I'm at another spot where I'm trying to figure out my next move. And it, it looks good to see where I'm at, but it's like, okay, well, I'm still trying to think five moods ahead. So to me, like that little thing of like, Hey, I don't know how I'm going to get started just yet. I really don't, but let me just break it apart and sit aside an hour a day and like Google the first question. Like, how to start an LLC, like whatever it is. I don't know for anybody, you know, watching this, but that's been powerful for me is just making that time for it every day and, and, and just getting started in any way possible, watching a YouTube video, Googling it, like you said, calling a friend, a mentor, 
And then you just start building momentum. And before you know it, you're, you're, you're building something. So you build this super successful landscaping business when you're not even old enough to drive. <laughs> and then how did you then go from the landscaping business to moving to LA and then appearing on the Netflix show, The Circle? Doug. Like, how did that, that happen? It makes no sense, Doug. Like, I can't, like, right now, I, I haven't made it in the sense, maybe to some people would say, since I was on Netflix, but to me, I got a lot more shit I want to accomplish. But when, when I do sit down and have that, I made it interview, and it's not going to make any sense. Like, everybody says that, but to me, looking at my past, it's so random, it's so sporadic, it's so spontaneous. Nothing aligns, but then everything aligns at the end of the day. And to me, that's just God working in my life because it doesn't make any sense. Did you end up selling the landscaping company and then just move? Yeah. Yeah. Like long story short, I I hit a point where I set a couple goals for myself when I was young and managed to hit them. And those were, I thought would be like the top of the world goals where like, I was like, you know, the big man paying all the bills, doing all this. And I hit them. And I remember just sitting there like 17 years old and going, this is life. This is my dream. Like, no, it's not. And I remember like almost hating my life. And I was like, how, like how, like I hit all these goals I had as a kid so early. Like I thought I would be working towards these time 25, 30, 40. And I just hit them. And I was like, this is great. But at the end of the day, I hate this. So I just made a decision. I used to ask myself this question and it's now Steve Jobs said it better than I ever did when I was a kid. And it's the question, it's like, if I was going to die today, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? And if the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. So, you know, I integrated that at an early age just because some other shit was happening and, and I wanted to like really live my life. And then I noticed the last few years, I was like, no, like I wouldn't wake up and cut grass. Like, that is not what I'm put on this earth to do. So one day I just decided, I was like, I'm going to sell it and I'm going to do something else. And I just did it. I weighed out my options on a note sheet and wrote down like option one, sell the business, option two, keep the business, hire a manager. And I tried all that, but it was a difficult business to really scale. So once I hit that point where I was like, hey, it's either full-time, you know, hire another manager and another crew, and you're running, you know, a six to eight person operation with two managers and X, Y, and Z, or get out. Like this is a real business now. And I'm playing with people's livelihoods at this point. So it's not just me. So I made the decision to get out. Long, long story short, I just went on a rampage of trying everything, chasing my passions, what I wanted to do truly for my heart, not just for money, got into the emotional intelligence coaching for a couple of years, love that, started day trading, stock options, got my real estate license to learn how to put my money in real estate, bought a uh, five unit investment property and started selling credit repair. Like I was just everywhere. Like I wrote down a list of like 10 things I wanted to do to make money, to travel, to see And I just started checking them off. And then eventually I got to a point, I was about 19 or 20, this is pretty recently, where nothing had really taken ground. Like I hadn't made any real progress. I was in a couple of businesses for six months, 12 months, got out, you know, got a sales job, made a hundred grand in a couple of months, got out. Like I could, I could get by and then I'd lose interest. So I was like, all right, I got to push myself. I'm way too comfortable. You know, I'm still at my mom's house. At this point, still in my hometown with all my friends. And, and out of nowhere, I just decided so, to move. What was your hometown again? You were up in, up north? Conshohocken, Pennsylvania. Yeah. 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 Okay. But yeah, I mean, I just decided to move across the country. It was either, I literally put a poll on my Instagram and said LA or Miami. And mo- more people voted Miami. And I was just like, you know what? It's a two hour flight. It's warm all year. I don't know a single person there. Let's just go. And I packed one bag and literally just told all my friends and family, I was like, yo, I'm going to move to Miami, Florida next week. And they thought I was joking. And I literally just booked a flight, called an agent, was like, I need an apartment that's furnished by this day. And didn't even have the money to do it because I'd lost it all. And like my real estate investment and risky stock options trading blew all that money and I had to like sell my car. And then I ended up taking all that prepaying a lease. And I remember getting to Miami and just going like one of those moments, like, what am I doing here? Like, I don't know a single person. I don't have a job. I don't have income. I don't like, I just knew I was too comfortable having fun, trying stuff and not really being pushed again, like I used to be. And then from there, Miami was a whole nother operation. I went through a whole little midlife crisis there and everything was so right and so wrong in my life, if that makes any sense. Do you think you were like hiding and using your busyness as a way to like mask some of this internal emotion and pain that you've talked about that you're working through now? 
We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes. Again, earthechofoods.com forward slash Doug Bobes. Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Yeah, yeah, in a sense, I used that to fuel me in a kind of messed up way. It probably wasn't healthy. Right. I don't know if I was hiding or it was just like super motivating where I I like that. I did like that because it gave me so much drive. For sure. For sure. But when I got to Miami, it faced me because I had nobody to hang out with. Like I was isolated the first four months I moved to Miami. I didn't meet one person like not because I didn't want to. I wanted to sit in my apartment and I was just like that was like the first time. Maybe actually second. I went to like a little thing earlier in my life, but like. Mm. I really thought I was like depressed and needed help and like could not figure out how to make the simplest decisions. And it just came from having such drive and momentum and progress my whole life to then hitting these goals and then being completely unfulfilling and not exactly what I wanted at all to then me going, well, then I thought this is what I wanted my whole life. Now what? And then I couldn't answer that question. So I was like, well, holy crap. You know, I could have stayed on that path and, and probably been making a couple million by now and, and had a different life for myself. But I was like, I, I can do that, but I don't want it. You know, I don't want that. Like it's, it's almost too achievable in my head. So I just went through it in Miami, like realizing that my goals and dreams weren't what I actually wanted. I don't know where I got them from or what, I, you know, the, the, the factors I was using to motivate myself. I'm grateful for, and I achieved those things, but I didn't know who I was at that point. I didn't know really what I wanted out of life. I didn't really know, you know, my core values. And I was questioning some stuff about my beliefs and, and morals. And I'm like, ah, just a bomb went off, Doug, where it was just a mess, everything in my world. Uh, so I just started putting the pieces back together day by day. And, and one thing just led to another. And to, to, to explain your long-winded answer, how I got on the show, when I was about 16, 17, I'd applied to be on all these different reality shows because I was producing a lot of content around, similar to like before Gary V was Gary V, like I used to post like quotes and inspirational stuff and share some stories of how I'm scaling a business and make YouTube videos. And they all got 10 likes and three views on YouTube, but I was consistent with it. And I realized that, hey, it's hard to get eyes on this, but how do I get eyes on me? And how do I get more attention? Because yeah, sure, maybe I'm impacting three people, but how cool would it be to be Kylie Jenner and click a button and impact hundred million? So I was too young at the time to go on, but what I didn't realize is I just set myself up for the future. So when I applied for all those shows when I was 16, all those casting producers found my Instagram and have been watching me for years, just document my life. Like, hey, I'm depressed right now. I don't know what's going on. I'm going to figure it out. And then, you know, six months later, I'm like, I had a breakthrough and just got to do this and this and, and, and get your mindset and push your to then like be being my best self. And like, I started the sales career and started making money again and moved to Miami and did all these different things. And they're like, dude, like you're just always on social media talking about like the most inspirational stuff. And I'm like, Thank you. Like, I wish more people would see it. And then they were the casting producers. Like, dude, like, I love your personality. I love your voice. Like, we'd love to have you on this show. And then out of nowhere, a year or two ago, it's almost like any show I wanted to go on was free game. And I was like, whoa, how did this happen? And it was just from my work from the like five years prior, honestly. Wow. That's God, that's super, super random, but it's not. But it's it's kind of crazy that you just put the yeah. work in. And I know you're a believer as well. So it's like, I felt like there's these unanswered prayers, right? Like you pray that yeah. something's going to work out. You pray that the landscaping business is going to come to fruition. You pray that you're going to make it, you know, trading stocks. You pray that you're going to make it in real estate. You pray that you're going to make it in Miami. Yeah. 
And God's like, no way, no way, no way, no way, no way. And then you're like documenting your stuff of all of that along the way. And then the pieces in the puzzle start to, to fit together a little bit. Right. And then you, yeah. then you can look back and be like, Oh, like, this is why now this, this all makes yeah. sense. Right. Yeah. Call that character development mode, Doug. That's yeah. what I was. In. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. So I, I want to get back to something that you said earlier that I think people are going to find interesting, given that, you know, you were on this reality TV show called the circle on Netflix came out yeah. earlier this year, right? Yeah, in uh, April, April, May. Okay. okay. And you're obviously, you know, you've you've been financially secure a good bit of your life, started hustling and, and working when when you were young. And and then but you said you had good experience with girls. Like you were always the guy that could you knew how to talk to girls, you knew how to get their attention, that sort of thing. What inspired you to decide to be a virgin? Part of you know, my other story was setting those goals that I hit. I was about 12 years old and and that's really a pivotal point in my life. Right around that time when I was telling you that my business turned into an actual business from a little kid. And then that's right around the time my parents got divorced. So just like a lot of stuff happened in and around that 12, 13 age bracket. So I was focused on getting a lot of girls like me and all my friends. I mean, I think it's just human nature, right? Like I think it's programmed into everybody. So we would just, you know, see how many different girls we could kiss at a party and, you know, do different stuff or little bits and eventually just became unfulfilling. I guess I was like a little player as a kid, didn't really know it. And I was like, in a non-cocky way, knew I, like I would test myself like, oh, can I get this girl? Like, it's the hottest girl at school or that's the hottest girl at school's older sister, you know, like, can I get with her? And then once I did that enough, I got to the point where I was like, yeah, like in, in a non-cocky way, I know I can get with anybody. And like, for what though? Like, I don't really care about them and I don't have any relation with them. Like, it's kind of meaningless. So I hit that point at a really young age. And I feel like some people hit that in their 20s or 30s after they've had sex thousands of times. But for me, it was just early. And I, I had made these couple core decisions and goals where I just looked at how much time I was spending on hanging out with you know girls every day after school and on weekends and different stuff. And I said, all right, well, you know, my business is now turning into an actual business. So I can either keep getting girls or like I can work this company and build this and, and change my life and my family's life. Like, which is more important to you right now, buddy? So you can see which one I went with. And one of the things I said was like, you know, I just was super motivated. Some, some stuff happened with my family, like I said, and I just set a core couple goals. I said, number one, I'm going to read the whole Bible cover to cover because I had not really grown my relationship with God. I went to Catholic school my whole life, but felt like I knew how to recite prayers and hymns and didn't really know who God was. So I was like, oh, that's important to me. I mean, I'm going to make $100,000 this year and help my family pay some of the bills. And then as I was reading the Bible and as I was working so hard and, and kind of detaching from the girls already, because I was so focused on these goals in the Bible, it says, you know, you shouldn't have sex until you're married. And, and I tell this story now and it, it kind of sounds messed up, but I remember like kind of laughing at that, like, you know, right. It, you know, I'm an animal and I'm 12, 13, whatever years old, like there's just no way. And then it just stuck with me. Like, it's just something that the question in my head was like, what if, like, what if you could actually, you know, do this? And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm trying to better my relationship with God. I'm trying to focus on, you know, the right things in life. And, and clearly this is wrong for my focus right now. And this is obviously, you know, wrong by God's standards. So I said, you know what? And, and it almost just came out of my mouth to myself. I was like, I'm going to stay a virgin until I'm married. And from that point on, it's, I don't know. It's like, it's not like I don't have the desires and urges to, it's just like, I made a commitment to God and myself and I've just kept it, you know, quite simply. Wow. Yeah. Kudos to you. <laughs> Cause you had said like you had gone and fooled around with girls and yeah. you just didn't have sex with them. But then you hit that point, like you said, like right around your parents' divorce. And when you were trying to take your business to the next level that you had to, I guess, reorganize your prior priorities and it aligned with also mm -hmm. your relationship with God, do you think it had anything to do with like you just watching your parents divorce and seeing like, okay, like I don't want to get myself into any kind of relationship that's complicated or no? No, no. I mean, if anything, I don't want to say that it didn't affect me much, you know, because right. it definitely did. But I was just super kind of matured and aware of what was happening in their relationship and in my relationship. And if anything, I just tried stepping up to the plate to like be the rock. To, to my parents, even when they were going through this tough time. So 
to me, you know, I'm sure there's some stuff that that landed in me hard that I'm still not even aware of. But I, I think it just came from, you know, that maybe being another motivator as to why I want to be successful. Cause I know, you know, there was always like little arguments or this or that about money. And I just remember when I was really young, probably back to when I was like seven or eight, I just like told myself, I was like, nobody in my family is going to ever worry about money again. And then it just stuck with me. So if anything, I just saw relationships and girls as kind of a distraction where I was like, Hey, I'm not really my best self. I got a lot of stuff. I still want to achieve a lot of time. I want to spend with my family and you know, I'm putting girls before my business, myself, my me time, my family time. And I was just like, I don't value, you know, that right now in my life. Right. So right. I just you know, stuck with it. Yeah. So how did you deal with like peer pressure? Cause I know there's a lot of kids that I'm sure you were spending time with that I'm, I would imagine were pressuring you or giving you yeah. a hard time about your decision that you made to re- remain a virgin. And then there's people that maybe you're listening to this or parents that are listening to this that have kids that are dealing with peer pressure of, of drugs or alcohol or, you know, sex and all these other, other things that people can become addicted to or pressured into doing. How did you deal with that? That's a good question. I mean, I don't know. Looking back, Doug, how do you deal with it now? Because you're in a similar space yeah. now where you're in LA, you're in the entertainment world, influencing space, you're around women a lot. I'm sure there's people throwing themselves at you. So how do you kind of, keep yourself grounded through all this. Yeah. You know, it, it's just, I feel like w- what I practice is, and, and sometimes I don't, so I don't want to act like I'm Mr. Perfectionist, but what I try to practice when I say something, I do it. And that's just core discipline, mental toughness. I set a goal. I'm going to work towards it. I, I said, I'm going to do something. I try to do it to the best of my ability. So when I just made that commitment, it, it was more so to my business, my goals, myself and my family and there just wasn't, I mean, there was distractions back then, but I had cut them off. Anytime a girl right. would text me, I just didn't answer. I would block them. I would delete them off Snapchat, whatever it was. Like I cut the distractions. Friends used to kind of beat on me, but it wasn't really until, I don't know, maybe around 15, 16 is when like all my friends at that point were already having sex and doing stuff. And they, they saw who I used to be and they kind of kept on that path. And I didn't. They're like, yo, like, you know, what's going on? Let's go out to this girl's house this weekend. And, and over the years, I kept saying, no, 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 no. Then it was like, oh, well, you're no fun anymore. And oh, like if I, you know, had your looks, I'd be, you know, hooking up and having sex with every girl. And, da, da, da. and I'm like, well, first of all, it's not my looks. That might be a small part, but it's a whole nother topic. But I just prioritized myself and my goals above anything else and, and my relationship with God. So it, it was always clear to me. And, and even still, like, my DMs, the texts, the people I meet. There's a lot of beautiful women and, and distractions for sure. But I don't know. I feel like I'm just, and sometimes it works the opposite, Doug. Like I'm just such an open book and genuine person. Like if I talk to somebody, it's because I'm genuinely interested. And what I found is girls don't typically get that from guys. They typically understand that, hey, this guy's talking to me just for one thing, especially if it's at a bar or some sort of party or public right. setting. So I'm just like, hey, you know, tell me about yourself. What's going on? What's your story? Blah, blah, blah. We're shooting the shit. And next thing you know, a couple hours goes by and, you know, they're, they're wanting to do stuff or have sex. I'm like, oh, look. And then I'm the one. I'm like, look, I'm a virgin. I, I'm really sorry. I didn't know this was going to go here. Like, I really love you as a person. But yeah, I'm not going to have sex with you. Like, I, <laughs> that's not me. And they're like, wait, wait, what? And I'm like, ah, like, and that's what I try to tell my friends because they think it's my, you know, I, I acknowledge I, I like the way I look, but I'm like, look, that might be a small piece of it. But when you just know how to talk to a human being, it, no matter who they are, whether you're selling, whether you're trying to get the girl, whether you're trying to close a deal, it, it all is very simple. So to me, like, I, I just understand who I am and where I'm going and, and what my focuses are and, and just hold to it. I don't know. Wow. No, that's, that's crazy. Yeah. And yeah, I got to imagine it's kind of, it's got to be rare, right? When you're talking to a female and you're at a bar, or you're at a party or whatever, you're in LA and yeah, things are going well and you're asking them questions and you seem like genuinely interested in them and the conversation's going well. And she thinks that you're going to start making out and then you're going to go back to your place or her place and yeah. you guys are going to sleep together. And you're like, wait a second. Like, and then I'm sure you might, you might run into this when you're maybe even trying to date somebody where they might not even think you're interested. Right. You know what it is though, Doug? Like, like I said, I'm just so in my own world sometimes, no matter how much my friends book on me, like it's kind of a running joke, you know, I'm a virgin or this or that and whatever it is. And 
like, I don't know. It just never really got to the guy. I just understood like, Hey, that's their opinion. I, I know who I am. I know what I'm going for. I know what I want out of life, at least, you know, to, in this extent. And it just always bounced off me. So like, it just never, I never let it in, I guess. Right. Right. You know, maybe sometimes it'll land a time or two. And then I'm like, no, nah, no. Nope. Like I know why I'm doing this. And even with dating, like I, I am very focused on myself and, and this is something that I don't know why it's, I, I guess it's rare. All my friends, I feel like are dying for relationships and longing for this girlfriend or longing for a boyfriend. And I'm like, dude, like you got issues. <laughs> Go work on yourself right now, bro. Like, you know, when I, when I have something going on, my solution is not to go find somebody to like dump my my problems on. It's like, hey, like let me take some more time to myself. Let me go hike a mountain this weekend or, or sit at my desk and journal for a couple hours and figure it out, not go to a party and get drunk. Like, I don't get that. So to me, like, I just am so focused on being my best self. I'm focused on my goals. When I'm not working, when I'm not working, you know, objectively on a business or when I'm not working on myself, then it's like, hey, when I open myself up, I have some friends I want to spend time with, or I want to go back home and visit my family. Uh, I go to a party and I meet girls, but you know, it, unless it's really there, like I, I simply just don't prioritize it in my life right now. You know, if we have a connection, great, I'll, I'll run with it, but it's not something I'm like out of my way trying to seek right now. And, th- and there's something I think that's that's interesting. There's two things I think that go along with what you're talking about, and. In, in the rarity of your situation, number one is that you're kind of waiting until marriage to mm-hmm. have sex, right? Which I think is is pretty uncommon now because I think sex gets put as this main focus of relationships. And there's, that's another conversation yeah. for another day on my opinion on that. I mean, I, I, right. I share a very similar view to you. I don't know if it's the waiting till marriage, but I definitely think it's waiting longer than you think you should wait, right? right? Right. And then you're also a Christian, which is uncommon, I think, at your age. And I think we're seeing this divide in a lot of people who are growing up in your generation that are just fleeing away from God yeah. and the church. And and whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But I, I guess what I was saying is it's not that I'm judging them for, for doing so. But the fact of the matter is, like with you dating now and you're, you're approaching like women in today's society, like, what does that look like? Do you get a lot of pushback? Do you get people that, you know, is it hard for you to, to, to date given that a, you are a Christian, you're so open about your faith and you're so driven, focused on yourself. And you know that you're not going to have sex until marriage. Do you find yourself struggling with that? Yeah. I mean, I'd be lying if I said, I don't. Right. But it, it kind of back to what I said, like, I, I truly don't prioritize that in my life. I mean, once I really start trying to settle down, I'm sure it'll be more prevalent. Because right now I'm just focused on like, hey, how do I live my dreams? How do I be my best self? How do I spend as much time with my family? So like, yeah, sure, I go on dates and they arise naturally and stuff, but I'm sure I'll face a lot more once I'm really actively dating and, and trying to meet somebody. But for the most part, I don't know. I feel like I wouldn't really give the time of day, not in like a messed up way, but if we don't click, like if I don't think you're a good person, like I'm just not going to be your friend. Like I'll try and help you. I'll try and talk to you. But like at the end of the day, if you have like a shitty personality or something, like I'm not going to try to mold myself into like who you want me to be. It's like, hey, you suck as a person. Like I'm not changing me. Uh, And then what happens is you start attracting the right people. So then, you know, some of my friends, I moved to Miami and a couple of my great friends I was just talking to earlier today. One of my best friends now has got Wi-Fi Daniel. We started studying the Bible together. Like I was reading the Bible every morning and he lived in my apartment complex and we would like, you know, have coffee on our balcony or like make some, some breakfast sandwiches or stuff together. Right. Came close friends. He's like, yo, that's really interesting. You know, what are you, what are you doing out on the balcony when I come down? I'm like, oh, I'm journaling and, and, and reading the Bible. He's like, yeah, I've been you know wanting to get back into it. So me and him used to journal and read the Bible together every morning for the last year. And, and to me, that's my friend. We, we match up, we line up, we agree on the same things. Now, if I walked into a, a club, I'm not expecting them to be like, hey, you're an inspiration for being a virgin. It's like, no, I want to have sex with you. So like, I just know I kind of attract right. people similar to me and we get along anyway. And the people that aren't, I don't, I don't care. Not everybody has good taste, you know? Have you seen yourself like rubbing off though on some of the people out in LA or your inner circle that maybe aren't making the same choices as you like with their sex life. And maybe you're inspiring them to maybe think twice about, you know, who they're sleeping with. I hope so. 
Yeah. I don't know because I feel like nobody would ever admit. Yeah. You know, I don't really know what's landing and what's not. But, uh, you know, when I, when I talk about it, when it brings up, especially in L.A., you know, L.A. and Miami are the two worst places, honestly, to live if you want to be a virgin and, and celibate. There's nothing but distractions. Like the most beautiful people in the world flock to L.A. and Miami as models and actors and this and that. So it's definitely been a good test. But I feel like when people hear it and I, I kind of explained it to them, you know, I'm trying to condense as much as I can here because I can talk for forever, Doug, here. But usually I'll just hit them with the simple explanation. Like, oh, yeah, I'm a virgin because, you know, for God and, and myself made the commitment. That's really it. They don't really want to hear the whole story. Like, yeah, right. Like, I could never do that. And, and they kind of joke about it. But I just hope like maybe in their head, they're like, yeah, maybe I should think about that. Right. I right. And I, and I think that because it's not the norm. I think it's harder for people to come out and admit that they are thinking about that, even mm-hmm. if they are, but because yeah. it's so, I don't know if it's taboo or whatever, or against the norm, people are afraid to admit it. Cause they're like, Oh, like I'm thinking that too. Then they're considered to be like different or, or yeah. weird or whatever. And I think that can be challenging. So going back to, I guess what we were talking about, and then we're going to get into like the emotional intelligence stuff. Cause mm-hmm. I want to get into like your thoughts on like what these what kids could really, really use like, getting kind of tactical if we can, but sure. So like, what do you do when you see somebody or say like you go out with a girl and you're super tempted to, to have sex and, you know, I'm not, not saying this comes often for you because that's not your focus, but I've heard you say that it does happen where yeah. the thoughts go through your mind. Like, what are some of the things that you do? Cause I think it's probably can be helpful for a lot of people that are craving a drug or they're craving a drink or they're craving looking at porn or, or whatever that their addiction was or something they're trying to stay away from is. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I mean, I would say first and foremost, your environment. What's that old saying, Doug? Like you hang around the bar long enough, you're going to get a drink or something like that. I yeah, forget something exactly. Like that, yeah, yeah. Something like that, right? And when I decided to make that choice, you know, not really get with girls and, and do this different stuff. It was so tough at first because I was still in the same environment, still hanging out. I'm like, yeah, right. This girl's sitting right here. Like, no, no shot. I'm not. So obviously, if you're going to a spot where drugs are taking place and you know you're tempted to do drugs, like, first of all, don't put yourself in that position, at least until you build some sort of discipline. Just, you know, remove yourself from that whole environment, whatever it is you're addicted to in that sense. But, but I would say just it's tough. I don't, I don't know how to describe it exactly. Like, when you set something for yourself, when you make a commitment, a lot of people are flimsy. And I've been at times in my life, especially even recently, sometimes I said something and I just forget about it. It's like, oh yeah, right. But when you say something and you have enough power and passion and purpose behind it, you're going to do it. It's just a matter of what's stronger, your desire to feel the short-term pleasure of sex or of a drug or of alcohol or whatever it is, or, you know, the long-term day-to-day pleasure of like, hey, I said I wasn't going to have sex or I said I wasn't going to drink or smoke or da-da-da. And, and every day I'm doing it and I'm proving to myself what I'm capable of and I'm getting better, you know, mentally, I'm getting better physically, I'm getting better financially, I'm starting to do the things I actually want to do versus these short-term little highs. So to me, I guess, you know, I just traded my short-term pleasures for long-term pleasures and stuff that's more important to me than, than the short little pleasure. And just kind of playing with that in your head, like, hey, this actually isn't what I want. This is actually hindering my growth. And and this is what I want. So let me work towards that. And yeah, it's going to be hard in the day-to-day to to say no to these short-term fixes. But in the long term, I'm going to love my life. Right. So what are some of the things that you do on a daily basis to help protect yourself from a lot of those temptations? I know know you work out a lot. I know you meditate. Mm -hmm. Obviously, prayer, your relationship with God. Your inner, your inner circle, the people you hang out with. Is there anything else that really helps set yourself up for to mitigate that temptation as best as you can? Hmm. I want to think about that one. I mean, n- number one, establishing daily routines, no matter how small they are. Like I was talking about that me time that's been huge the last couple of weeks. I just integrated that. But yeah, I definitely, you know, no matter what, I'm waking up, meditating, getting a quick prayer in, and, and doing some sort of reading, whether it's the Bible or another book. And that helps me just stay grounded. When I wake up, I'm not checking my phone. I'm not, you know, starting off on a negative note. I'm starting off. I plan my day the night before. So I wake up I'm like, All right, I know what I got to do today. Let me take my time for myself right now. You know, connect with myself, connect with God. And that grounds me with meditating, praying, journaling, and reading. But, but I would say what I'm noticeably good at with my own mind is just sometimes being too aware. 
And when I feel stuff come up, it, it's almost like I play with my own mind. So, so for example, I used to hate running. I hated running with a passion. And I went on this 5K and pushed myself through it, ran the three miles, threw up at the end of it, could barely make it through without stopping. And then my mentor, I was with this guy, Carl, a really good friend of mine, was like, dude, like, relax. Like, you're good. Like, you, you, we could have took a break if, if you were that tired. I was like, no. I'm an animal. You know, I'm a beast. He's like, all right. I was like, you know, I want to start running again. Cause I was so out of shape that I just wanted to run just to like prove myself. I could long story short, we're on this run together and I'm pushing myself. I'm huffing and puffing. I'm barely like staying on my feet. And we're probably, you know, a couple miles into the run. He's like, dude, dude. And we, he's like, stop. We start walking. He's like, who are you trying to beat right now? Like we're not in a race. We're not running towards any destination. Who are you trying to outrun? And I was like, myself, like I need to beat myself. I need to, you know, I was just stuck in go mode. He's like, dude, you got to learn to enjoy this. This, this run to me is a meditation. It's not a race. He's like, you're not racing nobody. And I was like, what? But what I did in that moment, and, and now I love running is, so I learned to look at running, not as a painful dread. Like I'm going to go out and run until I can't breathe until my legs hurt. Now I look at running. I'm like, oh, well, let me learn how to enjoy this. And when I'm running, I take it slow and I look around. I see the trees. I hear the birds. If I run near water, I hear the water. It's like a meditation. But what I just did was looked at the painful or looked at the pleasurable side of something and not the pain and valued that higher. So I, I just learned how to do that with a lot of things. And when I look at something, sure, I have those spurts of like, you know, when you're about to hook up with a girl, like, testosterone, it's biology, or when you're, you know, doing drugs or drink, like, you know, kind of the feeling that's coming. It's that burst or high feeling or whatever it is, that strike of dopamine hits you. And it's just understanding, like, Hey, do I value that more than this commitment I set to myself? Mm-hmm. And when you just confront it, it's hard as shit to say no to the short-term thing. It is like, there's no cheat code, but then when you really confront it, it's like, Truly, no, this, this is not going to bring me pleasure longer than 15 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever the case is. Uh, but this long term, holding my truth, holding my commitment, working toward things I'm passionate about and, and living life for my dreams, X, Y, and Z, whatever purpose you attach to that, that's how I've been doing It's just finding things that are more powerful, more purposeful to you and that pain, pleasure in your own mind. Man, you're, you're so wise for your age, 23 years old. And you're like, I <laughs> already figured a lot of this out. It's, it's golden. So Let's get back into the school system because I know that's like a big, big passion of yours is to figure out like how can we incorporate emotional intelligence into these schools, which is not easy for a number of reasons. And I think one of the barriers I think is just communicating it to these kids where if you tell like a 12 year old, like, Hey, like today we're going to work on like your emotions or we're going to work on stress management, or we're going to work on like how you're feeling today. I mean, they might not be as is open or is receptive. So do you have any ideas or thoughts on some ways that we can, that you can bridge the gap and helping to relate to some of these kids that are communicating mainly now with TikTok and Snapchat and social media? Yeah. Number one, we got to catch them earlier. (laughs) That's what I realized. Like, I hate to say it, but like our generation is already programmed. Like we already have all of our shit. We already got all of our problems. Like you can unlearn some stuff and, that, and that's part of, you know, helping and coaching, but you got to kind of be open to that. You can't just force a horse to drink. So it's a little harder, but that's why I'm so passionate about schools. Cause to me, if it's normal conversation, you know, what do they say? Most of your subconscious mind or most of like who you are as a person takes place between when you're like a baby to five or seven years old, I forget which one it is. Uh, and that's like your codes and your belief systems and your structures for the rest of your life. So to me, you catch him in preschool and kindergarten and first grade, and that's a normal conversation. They go their whole life. And that's just like, to me, that's normal. So like the next generation is really where I'm focused in terms of the school system. Now, how do we reach the current, you know, 12 year olds or 17 year olds that have trauma or heartbreak or depression and anxiety, whatever it is, it's going to be tougher but I would say there's just something that lands with everyone. You know, you spend enough time. I'm a firm believer. We're all the same at our core at a, at a like primal instinct version. I had a breakthrough, which is like everybody just wants to be understood, whether they want to admit it or not. And you look at it at work. You know, I used to work with all blue collar guys and we used to do construction and 
this guy, I hate my boss, and we'll all be at the bar or whatever. Yeah, F him. And it's like, no, you know what? They just found mutual understanding that they hate their boss, and now they're building rapport and friendship over that. You know, me and you, it's like, hey, we love talking about this stuff. Now we're building you know, rapport and connection over it. So to me, like people really do just want to be understood at their core. And it's hard to break some people's walls down. It really is. But you have a long enough conversation, you'll find a deep enough thing that that overpowers their ego. And once once the door's open, the door's open. So it's it's just working on finding that for everybody and and them trusting you to allow them in and and, and work with them there. Yeah, for sure. And you definitely got to start them young because I think you know, kids are from what I understand, kids are using drugs at, at, at a younger ages year by year. And yeah. um, it's starting in middle school and they're developing a lot of their patterns and behaviors and values and, and thoughts at that age, like as yeah. well. So have you thought about like, say we were to have a meeting with a school tomorrow and you're you going to meet with the principal of like a middle school or an elementary school. Do you have any ideas on like what are a couple things you'd like to implement within the school system to help improve the kids' emotional intelligence? Yeah, it's such a good question. A million so dollar question, right? Yeah, because there's so many things. And something I struggle with right now is how to get started on actionableizing this. Right. Because uh, I've you know, I have life still. I got my own personal goals I want to do, you know, other stuff coming up with shows and TV and social media. Uh, and I'm trying to, you know, not be an idiot and take advantage of that. And then in the back of my head, I'm like, oh man, like I kind of been putting this passion project to the curb a little bit. So I'm working on figuring ways to, to actually take actionable steps on this now. So you, you caught me at an amazing time. I would say just as math, science, and reading and everything else is a core subject, so should emotional intelligence. That should be like a core curriculum, at least in my head. Now, can we get that right off the jump? I don't know. It's going to take some work and some time. However, I, I just think the basics, you know, starting from how to process your emotions, you know, when you have a thought, how to get out of your head, how to be an observer of it, maybe, you know, a, a meditation in there. I would have to see what kids are going through in that age group, I guess, nowadays too. Because like I said, if we're going through like preschool or like, you know, early kids, then it's a blank slate. It's, it's just an open book. But if you're talking to 12-year-olds versus 17-year-olds, even there's a lot of differences there. Yeah. So I and I wanna... think, well, yeah. And I think that the way the kids communicate now is yeah, totally different, right? Yeah. Where like the way that they used to communicate would be, you know, you'd have a seminar and you get somebody to come in and, and speak to them about like anxiety or drug addiction. And that was like the thing back in the day. And I don't people could argue whether that actually worked or not. And now kids are, they're on their phones, like, right? And they're watching TikToks and they're getting a lot of their inspiration through TikTok and through mm-hmm. Snapchat and they're connecting yeah. with certain people on there or, or what have you. And it's just, it's different. It's a different landscape. And I commend you for wanting to get into that. And I think along those same lines, one of the things that I want to get implemented is yeah. some sort of fitness regimen yeah. In these schools, it doesn't have to be weightlifting yeah. when kids are nine years old or 11 years old, but at least making sure that movement is a pillar of their education system. And I guess to, so to finish up that conversation, like, what do you think is causing the demise of like the ki- kids and their mental health now? Do you, do you have a pulse on yeah. that? I want to touch on that in just a minute, Doug, back to what you just said about the schools. I had a moment to think there. I'm thinking it's got to be some sort of strategies. I, I, when I really boil it down, what's missing is there's a lot of content now. There's a lot of conversation about being woke or strategy or that yeah. there's no implementable strategies people can turn to. So what I mean by that is you kind of reminded me of when you said fitness, you know, that should be taught how to work out, how to motivate yourself to get your body moving for 10 minutes a day, whatever the simple of it is. There should be, you know, a journaling exercise in class or an open, you know, vocal point where you can just get out everything and see what's actually going on inside. So I don't know exactly what the right ones are right now. I'll be honest. That's a big question. Something I'm going to find the answer to. Right. But I would say if you had that program, you know, from an early age as 10 years old, you knew like, hey, when I felt off, I could turn to journaling or I could turn to, you know, this and even if you don't use it every day and it's not who you are, when you're 28 
and you have a mental breakdown and you're clueless, guess what you're going to remember? You know what? When I was a kid, I used to do this. And then you do it and, it and it goes back and it helps you. So I would say that's important to me. Some sort of implementable strategies that kids will bring with them their whole life in working out, in mindset, in spiritual, physical, that sort of stuff. Yeah. No, you're right. And, and I think that's the thing is like we have all these ideas, but it's like, how do you actually implement it? Yeah. In these, in these schools and it's tough. And, and we could go on for hours talking yeah. about this because it's just something that we're both passionate about. And it, I think is, is so needed. All right. So I want to put a bow in this conversation. So if you had a minute or two with a kid, yeah. what kind, what types of questions would you make? Would you have that kid, that young man ask himself Yeah, to go within and, and really I get where you're going some, with this. have some self-discovery yeah. to help set him up for the path to success as best as possible? You tell me you want to be successful. What does that mean to you? Right. Nobody asked me that. Nobody ever cared to ask me. I want to be happy. What does that mean? (laughs) You know? So to me, I would just say, hey, you know, write down what that that looks like to you. What does the word being successful mean to you? Not to your mom, not to your teacher, not to your friend. What do you want out of your life? What what makes you happy in a day-to-day basis that you know you look forward to that you lose track of time? And figure out a way that you can do more of that in your life. And if you can get paid for it, great. Or if you just got to create time for it, whatever it is. So, so just kind of flip those questions back. Because to me, I was chasing success that I didn't know what it was. And I was chasing happiness as a destination. When I make X amount of money and can do this and can do that and blah, 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 I'll be happy. And until then, I'm going to grind my face off. And I was not happy. And then when I got there, I was even more unhappy and led to that mental breakdown. So, you know, what does the word success and happiness actually mean to you? And then once you have it, you just go for it. So I feel like I could talk to you for hours because you're so wise and you got a lot of wisdom and knowledge at such a young age, but I do kind of want to wrap our conversation. And, and with that, like speaking of paths, speaking of destinations and directions, you've accomplished a lot at 23, right? Between your journey as an entrepreneur, when you were, you know, what, how, like, you know, six or seven or eight years old starting that business, right? <laughs> so, some of the other things that you've dabbled in, and then being on reality TV, becoming now a face on social media, getting into the influencer space as well. Like, so what's next for you? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I've been working a lot on that, separating the long term and the short term goals because sometimes I get stuck in either bucket too long, you know? Right now, I got some pretty cool projects I'm working on, some new shows in the works that I obviously you know can't talk much about right now, but that'll definitely be interesting for the short term. Short term as well, I'm definitely looking to get a podcast like this started. I love the kind of conversations we're having. I love talking about what happiness and success means and meaningful conversations. And I feel like my TikTok dances just aren't bringing me that level of fulfillment. So that's something I'm excited to launch as my podcast. And then in terms of long-term, I think we touched on it throughout the podcast. It's really, you know, I define success in my book as benchmarks of progress in an area that's meaningful to me. And, you know, my meaning could be different than your meaning could be different from the person's next to me, but I know what's meaningful in my life. And, and, and that's providing for myself, providing for my family. I never want to have to worry about money. So like, I want to achieve total financial freedom and wealth. I got some ideas and businesses and investments, you know, to do that, that I'm working on and just living, you know, I want to live my life, get the most out of my life and the experiences, follow my heart, see the place I want to see, spend the time with my family while I can. And then, you know, from there, it's really the legacy and the, and the impact projects, which is I'm starting to form some actionable steps, like back to what we were talking about. One of them is integrating emotional intelligence in the education system now to start that is is an interesting conversation. It's like, wow, where do we even get started? But that, that's where we're at. So I'm working on figuring out what that looks like and just trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together in terms of, you know, hey, let me focus on my short term. Let me keep my long term in mind and, and keep this this train on course here. And that's what I'm trying to work on right now. That's awesome, man. And I think you're going to crush it because you just seem so driven and and focused when you set your your eyes on something. And, and you see a lot of people that they get into reality TV and that like almost overtakes them as their identity. Yeah. And, and that becomes who they are for the rest of their life. And not that, I mean, I don't want to shame anybody for going that route, but I think a lot of times what happens 
is when you have a hard time reinventing yourself and re-identifying who you truly are because you've identified now with this reality show and you forget who you are at your core yeah. and you just kind of stay stuck there. Right. Yeah. And you, and you, and you see that, I think that's probably fairly common. So I think it's awesome that you're continuing to kind of move the needle and kick the ball forward and that sort of thing. So Mitchell, this has been awesome. If people want to connect with you, if they want to watch your TikTok dances, I'm kidding. <laughs> if they want to learn more, if they want to watch, you know, what you're doing on social media, connect with you and find out what you're, what you're doing, where can they go and do that? Yeah, pretty much at Mitchell Eason everywhere. Instagram's where I hang out most. And it's just my name, Mitchell Eason. Uh, I think TikTok, same thing. Facebook, YouTube, it's all Mitchell Eason. So should be able to find me there. Nice, man. Well, I will make sure to plug all that in the show notes. And I'm sure people get a lot out of the conversation because I think this episode, this conversation really, it speaks to a lot of different age groups, right? Because we yeah. talked about a lot of relevant things. We talked about a lot of like real life struggles, a lot of real life things that that people deal with no matter what age they are. So I appreciate you yeah. coming on here and uh, sharing your heart and being so open and honest. And for those listening, what I invite you to do, which I try to get people to do with every episode is to share takeaways. Maybe it was something that Mitchell said with his story and growing up. Maybe it was something he said about his inspiration for being a virgin or what we talked about with emotional intelligence with schools, whatever it is, tag Mitchell, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. We once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.